This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. And this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together thought leaders, scientists, healers, creatives, and seekers. I'm so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible wisdom with you. And I especially love listening to the conversations that are led by my brilliant co-host and friend, Erica Chitty. Erica is the CEO and co-founder of Loom, and she's been a part of the Goop family since the beginning days. We believe that simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. I'll let Erica fill you in on her guest today. My guest today is film and culture critic Ziba Blay. You may have seen her work in the Huffington Post, where she was previously a senior culture writer. Her work has also appeared in Allure, The New York Times, Jezebel, and more. Ziba is also the author of the book Carefree Black Girls, which explores the impact Black women have had on pop culture throughout history, but also how pop culture has shaped the experience of being a Black woman, including herself. In this episode, Ziba and I talked about what it means to be a carefree Black girl, where joy comes from, and whether representation is enough to make a person feel seen. We also talk about mental health and how pop culture has helped her form a deeper understanding of her experience. Okay, let's get to my chat with Ziba Blay. I think where I want to start is going back to 2013, which is a very different time, a very different place. Yeah. And it was the first time you tweeted hashtag carefree black girl. And I'm really curious about what you were trying to express at the time, what that meant to you and in 2022 is it still as relevant and as important as it felt back then i've written about that moment the moment of tweeting it i've talked about it a lot since my book came out and i feel like i'm still trying to understand who that person was and what it was that i was grasping for overall in that moment it was me trying to just embody something that I didn't feel prior to tweeting those words I was in in a place of like 
deep despair, deep depression, feeling like I wanted to disappear. And so in a sense, it was like posting a selfie with that hashtag was, was a way to sort of be like, I'm here. Like I'm not allowing my pain to take away my, my capacity or, or, or I'm not allowing my pain to make me forget that I still have a capacity for joy and I still have a desire for joy and for that feeling of care freedom, you know, but I think in writing the book, you know, I, I started writing the book in 2018. So several years after the tweet, and it was like, I wanted to sort of investigate and expand what that little hashtag meant, what that concept means, what does it actually mean to be carefree? What does it feel like? What does it look like? And in doing that, like, I realized that my conception of care freedom like had grown and that it had become a much more expansive thing and and something that was was more malleable and like not set in this place of arriving at a point of happiness let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners this year we launched a new goop travel series called the goop list I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation you were born in Ghana and you came here and really developed this deep connection to pop culture. When I think about you speaking to malleability, what comes up for me is your ability to stretch from where you came from into another culture and instead of just participating in it, actually step back and examine it. Can you talk a little bit about what's drawing you to pop culture in that way? I mean, I think it's a couple of things. I think a lot about like the particular era of my coming of age. It's a very specific time. I think we're around the same age where like the internet was like semi-new And it was a place where you could find your people and you could find the things that move you and you could find the things that made you nerd out. And like growing up for me, I was a lonely kid. I didn't have any friends. I was by myself a lot. My mom worked like 16 hour shifts at a nursing home and my sister was like doing her own thing. And so initially pop culture, you know, TV and movies and music was a way for me to find some community, you know, find some sense of belonging. And then also like, I think of myself as a storyteller. I I was obsessed with the babysitter's club. I would like, 
write my own like versions of my own babysitters club stories. I was like intensely interested in what made up a story or what made up a movie or like all of the different images that were collaged together into this final thing. And I, so I think it was a natural progression for me as I got older and I began writing professionally to sort of have that be a point of interest and a focus for me because I, I'm just, I'm obsessed with images and what they, they mean, like the layers of meaning. And as someone who's always struggled to make sense of where I fit in and not even on that, like, oh, I'm, I'm an African, like, all, you know, like that is an, another narrative, but like, just in terms of like, just being a human being in, the, in a very like fucked up world, <laughs> you know, and not always wanting to be here too. I think that art has always been the thing that has like justified life for me. My intense curiosity about my own experience has been like the sort of thing that's grounded me. And I think that pop culture is the place, at least for me, that I go to to form a deeper understanding of, of my own experience. What made you want to write the book? I think what made me want to write the book was wanting to re-examine what Carefree Black Girl was, like wanting to take this sort of like this, this little, you know, this little nugget and deconstruct it. Interesting to me, the life of the hashtag and the life of the concept of Carefree Black Girl and what, what images people associated with that phrase, you know? And so I wanted to write a book that was about challenging some of some of those you know assumptions about what a carefree black girl is and also challenging what I thought representation meant because I was of the mind that like representation matters representation is the thing that's going to get us free and then over the last 10 years it it became very clear to me as someone who was like you know I was writing at HuffPost and I was very much entrenched in like in that world, in that language, it became clear to me that that wasn't enough. And so I wanted to write a book that allowed me to explore what the representation of the thing and what the actual thing, what that relationship is and and whether representation, yeah, whether representation is enough to make a person feel seen? Do I actually feel seen and represented by these images? Do I actually feel seen and represented by a a concept and a phrase like carefree black girl. And so for me, it was really just, it was a chance for me to explore. I didn't think of the book as like, I'm going in and I have this to say. It was more like, I'm going in and I'm going to like feel things out and see what comes up for me. And hopefully whatever comes up will be an offering that other people can take and engage with and like figure out their own shit with, you know? Yeah, I do. And what you're sharing also makes me feel like it's important to ask you when was the last time that you felt carefree so monday i had a complete breakdown i had like i've just had an awful couple weeks i had a complete breakdown and my partner was just so amazing so loving and after i had my 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 moment and I, i came down he was like you know what let's just go let's just go to the water Let's just go sit by the water. Yes. And just like be be outside, feel the air on your skin and just let go. No more work today. Just like be. And so we sat by the water, 
just laughed. I laughed for like probably like an hour straight. And it just, I could cry because when, when, when you're in a dark place, I think one of the hardest things about being in a dark place is this lie that your mind then tells you that is like, you're never going to feel good again. You're never going to laugh again. You don't get to do that. And so like within the space of 24 hours to go from those extremes, I just felt so alive. I felt so human. I was like, wow, like all of this can happen in one, you know, person. It's like kind of beautiful. Like Lord knows I don't love being sad and anxious and going through it all the time. But just in that moment of laughing, I felt like this is why why I'm here to remember that and to remind other people of it, you know? I really resonate with that on a deep level. I've also been moving through a very, very hard time over the past couple of months and really have felt just intense waves of depression and anxiety. And I do understand that feeling of like, oh, you might not ever laugh again, you know, or just not knowing what it feels like to access joy or to have things that were previously very joyful, no No longer longer, feel. And so, you know, when the sky is really beautiful, especially because I spend most of my time or spent most of the past couple of years in the desert, you know, a sunrise, a sunset, of a flower, these small things ignite an, an incredible amount of joy in my system. And, you know, when I was really going through it, those things just were not hitting it. Mm-hmm. And it was just having the capability to be very self-reflexive, which I do. It was interesting to sometimes be in the depression and notice, oh, I don't, that's not working. That's that's horrible too to be to have this awareness of yeah. how locked out you are from your own joy complex. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's why I'm I'm finding that there's a there's a simplicity to joy that is so beautiful. I think it's just important to remember that joy can be many things, and, and that's I guess that's where I like what I've been struggling with and what I've been coming back to a lot as I think about my journey through understanding what joy is for me, you know, cause I've been dealing with depression, anxiety, all of these things since I was 10 years old. And what's just become so, so clear to me is that it's, I used to have this sort of destination sort of focus. I was like, if I do this and this and this, and if I get this and this and this, but like as you're coming of age, as you're growing, as you're as you're understanding the world and, and your place in it, it, it feels like a revelation to truly understand, to truly know that I'm interested in joy. I'm not interested in happiness. I'm not interested in this destination point. And something that's been re- really important for me is learning to accept, right, that my trajectory, my personal trajectory is never going to be linear. I'm never going to be endlessly happy. Like I'm going to reach a place of happiness and be there all the time forever. Like I'm 
feeling human being and I'm going to feel many things in many different ways. I'm going to feel many things at once. I have like really severe social anxiety, but I love people. <laughs> and it's like, I'll be at like a party and I'll be having a great time, but also like quietly dying inside. And I have to hold those things and just understand that that's just how, you know, as a neuro divergent person like that's just how my mind works and that's how I experience the world and that's okay I don't have to fight so hard to change that I just it's like the more I fight it the harder it becomes you know and I just I just I just want to release and accept it yeah I really hear that and as someone who also identifies as neurodivergent which I think is a much longer conversation that we will, we should definitely have at some point, you know, you, you also have written so much about your depression, anxiety, and just mental health in general, although you did keep it to yourself for, you know, a long time, you know, I, I'm really wanting to have more conversations about it, especially how it impacts black women. Yes especially because in our community, we don't really want to spend a lot of time thinking about it, but it's really something that deeply affects us. Why did you decide to start talking about it? How do you suggest we continue to talk about it? I've been told by family, because I, I don't have like a lot of memory of my childhood. Like I don't have a lot of memories before like the age of like nine years old. And so I don't really know who I was as a kid. But people will tell me that, like, you were just so outspoken. My sister once told me that, like, like adults would talk to you like a kid and you would talk to adults like they were like, you know, like I didn't suffer bullshit, basically. And I think that 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 thing in me that can't hide when I'm not okay, you know, that thing in me that doesn't want to mask, that thing in me that doesn't want to be silenced is is the thing in me that made me able to talk and write openly about these things a lot of times I'll write you know a a newsletter or I'll like post something on Instagram saying that I'm going through it or I'm dealing with xyz and someone will comment and say wow you're so brave which like I I understand that the sentiment but like I for me I don't see bravery in it I I see necessity I think a lot about even my mother, someone who has suffered so much and never complained, never talked about it, never expressed when she was feeling exhausted or sad or angry. And I see now as an adult how much that took from her, how much that silence took from her. I'm a sad person. Like, that's my default, you know? And I think it's important to express that. And and I think it's important to not feel ashamed of that, you know? And so every time that I talk about it and write about it, it's a way of me asserting just for myself before anyone else that I am allowed to feel these feelings and my feelings deserve to be held and acknowledged and seen for, for what they are, you know, which is just, it's, I'm human. You know, at the end of the day, I'm human. That's why I talk. And it isn't hard for me at all. What's hard for me is when people don't want to receive it or they find it too much. In the chapter Extra Black, you talk about colorism. 
-hmm. and you share a story about how an older light skinned black woman told Mm -hmm. you you were beautiful and that you didn't warmly receive that compliment. Can you share a little bit about that, about colorism and how it affects culture writ large, but specifically in Hollywood and in popular culture and as darker skinned black women, there is this kind of chasm, right? I would say between what it means to be more or less palatable as a black woman, Mm. depending on the lightness or darkness of your skin tone. Yeah. Depending on a lot of things, you know, it's, it's not just your skin tone. It's how wide is your nose? How big are your lips? How kinky is your hair? Are you fat or are you thin? Right. There's like all of these different, these different levels of sort of of hierarchy within colorism. I often think about the fact that at least for me growing up, the dark skinned women who had a spotlight or were celebrated had to be like exceedingly, exceedingly, almost like you know, superhumanly beautiful, right? You couldn't just be like a pretty dark-skinned black girl. You had to be like Grace Jones. And again, like that goes back to like the exotification of of blackness and of darkness. And and you know, that that story that I include in, in the book about that moment, it's funny you mentioned sadness because I feel like looking back, I feel like the reason why that woman even approached me was because I probably looked sad. I kind of have a resting sad face. And she was probably thinking, oh, I'm going to make this this girl's day. And I didn't receive it well because I don't appreciate the assumption that because I am dark, I have some sort of complex about it. That is assumption that you are projecting onto me. And it's actually telling me a lot about how you feel about dark skin. It's actually like a deeply colorist position to come at someone from it, it, you know, pretty for a dark skinned girl. Like there's so much like embedded in a statement like that, that again, says everything about the person saying it and not the person receiving that compliment. And that's always been my biggest frustration with colorism. I think it's very important that we remember and that we, we assert that colorism is, it's racism, right? Colorism is an interracial issue. But I think that white people need to understand that the basis on which racist ideology, like what it sits on, is based on like skin tone. (laughs) Like it's based on these very things. And so you're not exempt from this conversation. And when we talk about diversity and inclusion in Hollywood and pop culture, we're talking about colorism too, right? Like we're talking about the fact that for all of my childhood the most famous Black actress was Halle Berry. And there was a reason for that. There was a reason for that. She was an acceptable form of Black beauty, which we could all, you know, gaze at and admire and and laud. And growing up in a world where that is the standard for Black beauty, it's a challenge. But for me personally, I mean, I have my own beauty complex and body image complex that has its own thing. But I always understood that my skin and my hair and my features 
were beautiful. It was the way that the world responded to these things that was the problem. There's such an emphasis on beauty and like feeling beautiful and who's on the cover of a magazine and all these things. But it also comes down to how do you get to navigate the world? What kinds of opportunities and what access to safety and care? You know, how do you get gain access to those things when there is this, this hierarchy and this paradigm that says that darker skin equals aggression, darker skin equals uneducated, darker skin equals X, Y, Z. Those are also real realities that, that don't have to do with the popular culture, but that are directly affected by the popular culture, because that's how we all sort of experience each other and experience the world in a way. What's really sticking out to me is the sense of how we how we all experience the world. I think you and I, and again, I can only speak for myself, but I'm imagining there's resonance there, living in the bodies that we do, being of a darker skin tone. I am very aware of colorism. You know, it took me a long time. I mean, I've had my hair in locks now for maybe almost seven years or so. But before then, you know, I was trying so hard to keep up with right. straight hair and extensions and weaves. And actually, I don't have any issue with that type of hairstyle. I think it's beautiful. You know, I will never come for for inches and bundles. Like, I will not. But it took me time to recognize I was just trying to fit into a paradigm that was not designed. Your relationship is to it, yeah. Correct, exactly. correct. And I think, I think that the desire to, like I said earlier, to participate in pop culture or participate in the framework of, of whiteness or wanting to acculturate ourselves to that is very different to being able to actually examine our participation mm. in it. Because you yeah. can still participate but have the awareness and still choose. Yes. And I think that in itself is its own struggle because that's where, going back to this idea of being carefree, that's where that desire or the ability to be carefree is so hard earned. Because when you have that visibility into the framework that you're existing and are still choosing to participate even in the oppression of the framework, it's really tiring. It can be exhausting participating while also being critical, but also like wanting to just like have fun at the same time, also trying to subvert these, these you know, these systems too, right? It's like we're in this renaissance of, of Black film. And like, I think a lot about just the added pressure. Again, images, like I think about like for a Black storyteller, you're just telling a story. You're just being an artist. But then there's the added layer of, of all of the meat, the extra meaning that is that that you're weighed down with, because in a lot of circumstances, you are presenting the first uh, representation of the thing ever, or like one of the few representations of the thing ever. You, you're part of this very small history that you're trying to expand, and it can be exhausting, it can be tiring, and I think that that is is in a sense by design. Like I think that white supremacy and capitalism and patriarchy wants us to be tired and wants us 
to be exhausted and wants us to tire out to the point where we we don't try and we choose not to be critical, you know, of ourselves and of the world because it's easier. And so that's another thing that you're also pushing and fighting against. And it's like, sometimes it, it doesn't feel sustainable, but I think what sustains me is conversations like this, is knowing that there are other people struggling in the same ways that I do and have been forever, right? And that's why I freaking love pop culture because it's also a connection point to a history that stretches far, 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 far back before me. And, and I can look to the Josephine Bakers and, and the, I can look to these people and know that, wow, you existed in this world and you did what you did under those circumstances. And I feel a connection to you. And I know that on some level, it's giving me the strength to continue to engage, even though sometimes I really don't want to, you know? I couldn't agree with you more. These conversations are, for me as well, a space and a place where I can refuel. Because I think when you hear that refuel, you're not yeah. alone, but then you also learn how other people going through this experience are coexisting with you. Mm-hmm. It really gives you, again, that fuel to move forward. And so I'm so happy that we could just dive in today and just share that space. And I really think that what you are putting out into the world is powerful for those of us living in in these bodies, but also it's important for anyone not living in these bodies if they really are looking for ways to develop deeper empathy, compassion, and wanting to create spaces that are safe for people who are not them. Thanks for tuning in to my conversation with Ziba Blay. I hope you'll pick up a copy of her book, Carefree Black Girls. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast.